Well, this is a service where I predicted the score of the Laker game. Remember that? <laughs> so much for me being a prophet. Um, a couple other things. Remember last week we had the discussion about uh, whether we were supposed to use um, if I was not a Christian or if I were not a Christian? Remember that? Because uh, I said, if I was not a Christian today, you know, blah, 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 blah. Now, how many thought that I should have used if I was not a Christian? That that was the right way to say it. That it was was rather than were. Okay, how many would say it's supposed to be if I were not a Christian? Okay. it's pretty good. Well, here's the deal. Um, I looked it up. And... Uh, <laughs> According to the traditional rule, the subjective should be used to describe an occurrence that is presupposed to be contrary to fact. Okay, okay that doesn't help you, right? And what it means is this, is that because I'm saying something that's contrary to fact, because I am a Christian and I'm saying something contrary to fact, then I do use the word were. I, since if I were not a Christian, but if it were something that were true, like if I said if I was not a Buddhist, which I am, you know, like, like, you know, which, no, which I'm not, if I was not a, well, you know what I'm saying, but isn't that, isn't that a weird rule, that it's based upon whether or not it's true or not, ah, I know, I never knew that, but uh, dictionary.com, uh, next week, next week, another kind of housekeeping thing, uh, next week, there's a guy that's coming to speak, Don Davis, Dr. Don Davis, and it's pretty rare that uh, I'm actually in town and I want someone else to speak. Okay, this is one of those times when, uh, you guys, it, Don Davis is my favorite guy to listen to on this earth right now. I mean, he's just my favorite speaker. Dynamic, just powerful, brilliant. God has done so many things through this guy, and I guarantee you will absolutely love him. So do not miss next week. Um, just, just an amazing story what God has done in this guy's life and uh, just a brilliant, amazing, amazing teacher. You guys are going to enjoy that. Well, anyways, uh, this week as, as I was getting ready for the message, you know, talking about end times again, I was just having a hard time really getting motivated or inspired. And so midway through the week, I'm thinking, man, how can I get my mindset on this stuff? And so I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go watch that movie that came out the day after tomorrow. Okay, you know, because it's all about these catastrophes and about how everything's normal and suddenly all these floods and earthquakes and everything, you know, all, all this stuff goes on. So I thought, you know, let me watch that. That'll get me in the mindset to think about life, that how it can just change overnight. So me and Lisa went to go watch the movie, but the acting was so bad and the script was so bad that I was so distracted by it that it was like, oh, that didn't help me, you know. So then I decided to go to scripture and, uh, and it worked, hey. Uh, I, I, I looked at this passage. Um, there's this passage in, in Philippians chapter 3 that I just kept meditating on. Um, it just hit me really hard. Okay, Philippians 3 verse 18, because Paul is, is sharing his heart with these people, um, the, the, this congregation, this, this church that he had uh, at once uh, served in. And in Philippians chapter 3, Listen to what Paul says to them. Philippians 3, verse 18. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul says to these people, he goes, I know I've said this before. He goes, but I'm going to say it again. And he goes, and you've got to know that as I'm saying it right now, I'm crying. I say it again, and this time with tears. Okay, so what Paul's about to say, he says, and this is, this is not easy for me to say. This grieves me. It causes me to weep when I think about it. He goes, and what it is is that there are so many people, there are many who live as enemies of God. Enemies of the cross of Christ. But how he describes these enemies is he says that, he goes, their God is their stomach. Now, what does he mean by that? Their God is their stomach. The idea is their appetite. Whatever they hunger for, whatever they, they, they long for, whatever would bring them pleasure, they take it. That's their God. It's really their appetite or, or their, their own desire that becomes their God. They just do what they want to do. But, but then he goes on and he explains that he says that their mind, their minds are on earthly things. What they focus on, what they think about during the week are, are things that are just, they're not eternal. They're just things that happen here on the earth. And he says, but that's not like us. He says, because, but our citizenship, our mind isn't on the things of the earth. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we're eagerly awaiting the Savior from there. He says, see, we're, we're so not like them because we don't preoccupy ourselves with things of the earth things of the world. We're not into the things that just we desire that will bring us pleasure here on this earth. We're looking forward to Jesus. And as I read that and I thought about it, I thought, is that really true of us? Is that really true of me? And I guess it was just the gravity of, of Paul saying it with tears. And he's so broken over the fact that, that people don't think about the return of Christ, those enemies of God that are so caught up in the things of the world. And I thought, man, that's, that's kind of harsh because I fight that all the time. It is such a fight for me to stay unattached to the things of this world. It's hard. There are days when I don't want to leave the world. There are days when I think, man, this is good. You ever wake up you know, and have one of those days where you just think about your life, and every once in a while, we get to a place in life where it's comfortable, it's nice, and then what do we want? We want things just to stay there and not to change. To be honest with you, there's mornings when I've woken up and I just thought, I love the stage of my life right now, and I don't want anything to change. I like my girls being eight and four. I don't want them any older. You know, and I saw, ah, okay, this is the scary part. I, I like it right now. I like the church where it's at. I like my staff. I like the staff, the relationships. Everything's good right now. I like my home. I like my neighborhood. I like what I'm doing. I like this. I don't want things to change. And I've become attached to the way life is right now rather than saying, I got to get out of here. You know, I, I want Christ to return. I want everything to change. I want this world to be different. I, I'm anticipating his return. And, I, and it's like, man, it's a fight to get there. Because we live in a beautiful area of this world. I, you know, I mean, where else would you really rather live? You know, maybe a little closer to the beach or this or that. But for the most part, it's like, man, this is awesome. What a great place to live. And, and what happens, though, is then our mind gets on earthly things. And our citizenship, we start looking at uh, Simi Valley as home. 
And it's not. You know how those uh, students were up here? I mean, wasn't that awesome? I mean, just to, to me, that was one of the coolest things, uh, you know, for me, just as a pastor, to look and see all these young people and going, man, what's God going to do through this, this army up there? You know, that this could be the start. This could be their taste of, of what it is to live by faith and be out in the world. And, and they could choose a lifestyle of that. And, and I just get excited thinking about that. But, but for those who have been on short-term missions, you know, you know how when you go to a foreign country, you're just, you're a total stranger. You're, you don't feel comfortable. You're just going like, what am I doing here? You know, I, I mean, it's, it's hot, it's sticky, there's snakes, there's whatever, you know. What am I eating? What? I mean, you're just like, I, I, I want to, you just want to get out of there. You, you can't hang out too long, you know, because you know, okay, but I'm here, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to do some things, and I'm here just for the sake of the gospel. There's no other reason why I'd be in this place. I'm serving God, and that's why I'm here. And, uh, and there's, it's such an incredible feeling. Well, the Bible says that that's the way we're supposed to look at our lives wherever we are. Uh, to, to, you know, First Peter 1, you know, he, he calls us aliens, like these foreigners, people in a land that we don't belong. Where, where we, we're, I'm here in this place called Simi Valley on this planet, but I'm just here to minister to people, to bring people closer to God, because I don't belong here. My citizenship, as Paul says, is in heaven. That's where my mind is. I'm not attached to the things, because it's just like on that mission trip. I'm not attached to this area. I'm just here to serve, that that's the way we're supposed to be in life. But too often, this becomes home. And then we're no different from the people that Paul was talking about where this is my home. No, we should have this attitude of, see me's not my home. I pick up and leave tomorrow. I'm unattached. Because this world, no place, no geographic place on this earth is my home. My home is up there and I'm waiting for my Savior to take me there. Is that the mindset we have? Because Jesus here, when he speaks, he explains just how important it is that we stay unattached to the world and we keep anticipating the return of Christ. But it's hard and it's a battle. And Paul says it and he says it with tears. He says, most people don't live this way. You know, I said in the other services, I, uh, there's a part of me that just wants, you know, like when I was in Africa, just to not come home. Because when I was there, I wasn't attached to anything except for God. And I knew the moment I get on that plane and get back home, I'm going to sink right back into my old life. I'm just going to get back into comfortable. I don't want to leave. Everything's good here. You know, the longer you sit, the harder it is to get up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it is. It's the longer we plant ourselves, the, the harder it is to get up. And, and if we have this, no, I'm staying here, I'm going to be here, whatever, you know, that mentality, it's hard to leave. And, uh, and Jesus addresses that here in, uh, in Luke chapter 17. We are not supposed to look at ourselves as, as at home here. We should be uncomfortable. We should be aliens and strangers waiting for the return of Christ. In, in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, he says, Just as it was in the days of Noah so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. 
People were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Jesus says the days of the Son of Man, that's the, the end time events, the, you know, the book of Revelation, all the things that happened there. He goes, when that takes place, he says, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. Okay, can you picture that? Try to, let's just pretend it's the days of Noah right now. Okay, pretend I'm Noah, and you're just a bunch of people that just happen to be here. <laughs> okay, I couldn't think of anything. You're here, okay. And, uh, and I just tell you guys, hey, you guys, it's going to flood. Water's going to fall from the sky, like for days and days and days. And we're all going to die. Unless you build an ark like I'm going to build. Okay, you can imagine how that was received back then. It's going, what are you talking about? He says, it's going to be just like that at the end days. You know, it's like, he says, it's like the days of Lot, when, when God rained fire and sulfur down from heaven and, and just destroyed the city. Lot warned them, just like Noah warned, but people are like, come on, fire from heaven? It's just hard to believe. And sometimes we read the book of uh, Revelation and we go, well, that's kind of hard to believe. But, but, but the thing that surprises me about this passage, okay, what do you think of when you think of Sodom and Gomorrah? You don't have to say it, okay. You know, okay, it's just bad stuff. Whatever it is, you just go, oh, that was a disgusting, disgusting place. Remember, that was a place where the, the angels came and they, they visited Lot, and Lot says, oh, quick, quick, get in my house. And the men of the city are banging down the door trying to get in because they want to have sexual relation with these beings. And they're like, you know, Lot's like, don't go out in the you know, town square. Just, just stay here. Let me keep this comfortable place for you. But don't go out there because it was so wicked. That's what we think about when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. But what surprises me about this passage is when Jesus describes the story of Lot and the story of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, what does he point out that the people were doing? Does he name a bunch of gross sins? they were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. Okay, which of those are sinful? Eating, planting, selling, buying, drinking? These aren't sins. But it was such a wicked area. Why wouldn't Jesus talk about how they were destroyed for these things? No, instead, what he points out is their indifference. They were just living life. They knew about the end. They knew that there was this wrath, or, or at least they'd been warned, but they just didn't take it seriously. So they just went on with life as usual. And God says right in the middle of their everyday life, while they weren't doing anything horrible, the sin was their indifference. The same thing in the days of Noah. What does he say they're doing? Eating, drinking, marrying, you know, giving up the daughter for marriage, you know, going and attending the wedding. It was just life as usual. And, and I bring this up because this is very key to us who live here in this area. Simi Valley, kind of like the whole Conejo area. We tend to pride ourselves on not doing really evil things. We're not like the people in the valley, you know? And it's like, ooh, sinners, you know? And this is what we do. We go around going, you know, 
I work a, you know, I, I make a, an honest dollar, you know, I, I, I take care of my family, I feed my family, I provide a nice home with them, you know, in a gated community with alarms and dogs and everything, you know, and I'm, I'm saving up and they're, they're really going to have a nice little preppy life with, uh, you know, there's college education. Said, I mean, these are all good things. I'm working a job, I'm, I'm working up the ladder, you're doing this and that, you know, or I'm taking care of the kids, I'm watching, whatever it is, it's like this is all good stuff. I coach, the, you know, baseball, I do all good things, just living life, and yet that's, that's the very thing that God addresses here. Are you living life without thought of the end? Are you living life and doing all these nice things that aren't sinful, but you're just not even thinking about the end? You're just kind of clueless that this could all change tomorrow. This could change before the day is over. He says that's the way it was in the days of, of Lot and Noah, that suddenly the flood actually did come. And, and that, that maybe, you know, it's going to take you by surprise that everything I'm talking about here in the book of Revelation, it does just happen. But I know, I know it's, it's crazy because you think, okay, you think about the people in Noah's day going, is it really going to rain forever? And that's just so far-fetched. I mean, picture someone being in, in Lot's day and, and this guy, this wacko, just going, fire and sulfur is going to come down from the sky. What would your response be? Oh, okay. You know? And, and, and that's the same response people have to the book of Revelation today. Okay, God's going to shake the earth and all the mighty kings and generals are going to, you know, be scared of, you know, and say, you know, try to cover themselves in caves and this and that. Okay. And we have a hard time believing that. And, and even, I mean, haven't you sometimes been ridiculed? For those of you who do believe in the Old Testament, you ever been ridiculed for believing some of those stories? Where people go, come on. I mean, think about it. You actually believe that a guy gathered a bunch of animals and put them on a boat and just sat in that boat until the whole earth flooded? And then it dried out. He sent a bird out. And, oh, okay, let's start life all over. Come on. And you really think that, okay, fire and sulfur started coming out of the sky to destroy a city that was wicked and didn't hit the rest of the earth. Just hit them. And you look at a lot of the stories in the Old Testament, and come on, let's be honest here. Haven't there been times in your life where you read an Old Testament story and you go, uh, come on, did it really happen like that? You know, I, I, just, just some of them, like Jacob and Esau, did his arm really feel hairy? And You know, that, that whole, <laughs> come on, you know, did, did, did that, did, you know, was it, did, did the water really part and then drown? Or did this really, did the bread really come from heaven? Or did, you know, someone just throw a few slices? You know, I mean, what? <laughs> Well, you know, you, you start going, did this really happen? Could this have happened? And, and I have. I, I've thought those things. I've struggled with those things before. But here's what has changed me, and here's uh, what I came to, and why I do absolutely believe and take the Word of God literally, not just those past events, but the future events and what's going to take place. I take it literally because I go back to creation. And I start with creation. The Bible starts with creation in the beginning. 
The book of Romans starts with creation, and it says, ever since, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities and his divine nature have been clearly seen through what has been made so that men are without excuse. The whole idea is I go back to creation and I think, okay, if I believe that God created the world, which I do, and which there are more and more people that are starting to move toward creation again because they're looking at the claims of evolution and going, wait a second, it's starting to wane. There's some new discoveries now. And also, where did all of that come from? And, and where was the beginning? How did matter start? All, this, you know, all these thoughts are going, there's too much design. As we start looking smaller and smaller into every cell of our skin or into the tiniest leaf like we did in biology class, remember with the little microscopes and, and, and you look and you're like, are you kidding me? There's bugs in my mouth, you know, or, or whatever, you know. And, and you, you look at the intricacies of that, the smaller and smaller we get, I mean, as they're tearing apart the atom and all the, you know, the protons, everything's getting smaller and smaller. They're going, it's baffling. It's, it's mind-boggling. And then they start looking bigger and bigger, and they look outside of our galaxy and, you know, through the Hubble Space Telescope and going, this thing goes on forever. I mean, millions of light years away. We're seeing these galaxies. They're going, it all came from nothing. Okay, I, I don't believe that anymore. I'm starting to believe there had to be design. There's no way this earth could work the way that it does without some sort of intelligent design. And, and you know, and some are attributing it to aliens now or whatever else, but, but ultimately you just go, okay, there was a creation. There had to be a creation. And if you believe that, what, what baffles me is that there are a lot of people in the world that will say, I do believe that there was a divine being who created the world, but... I don't believe that he could flood the earth or I don't believe some of these stories in the Old Testament that, okay, he put all these people on the boat or, or this or that, whatever story it may be, or these plagues or whatever else. And, and to me, I go, I don't get that kind of reasoning. Because if you can create, I say, that's impossible. If you can create, then you, what can't you do? Because creation is very hard. <laughs> I'm going to prove it because you guys are laughing at me. Okay, <laughs> this is what we're going to do, and everyone's got to participate with me. Okay, see this uh, music stand up here. We're all going to work together. Everyone in this room, everyone watching the satellite room, look up at this, at this uh, music stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to pool all of the strength and power that we have in this room. And I want to see if we can create a grain of sand and put it on here. Okay, when I say go, you just, seriously, this isn't going to work unless you guys all try. Try, try your hardest, okay? Ready? Go. Nothing there. <laughs> Moore Park actually did it. <laughs> no, but, uh, but the whole thought of, <laughs> the thought of creation, you, you gotta go, you gotta understand, we're not talking, that's impossible. See, raising a guy from the grave and everything else, that, that's, just, that's, just, that's just kids play 
after you get past creation. You understand that? The thought that this had to come from somewhere that some designer made this. And, he, and the Bible says that's why you have no excuse for believing in the power of God because you can look around at the world and you will know that there's a design. You'll know that there's a power behind it. And then you, you read these stories and go, well, of course God could do that. I mean, making the world, that's the hard part. To make this and to make this work the way that it does, you know, and, and that's, that's hard. Flooding it? <laughs> You know, that, you know, to me, I go, that's easy, okay? Because I'm comparing it. <laughs> this is really gross. Uh, that's right. Um, but the, the idea is. To me, I go, if, if you take, if you start with creation, everything else seems a lot easier. For example, you know, people go, you know, they look at the, the end time, the revelation and destruction, and they go, that's, that's impossible. God wouldn't, you know, how can you have this earthquake that is so great that, that, you know, that the mountains would literally fall over, you know, or be cast into the sea or this or that? How could he shake the earth? And to me, I go, that's, that's such a silly question. My question is, let's think about this. Right now, we are flying around the sun, I've said this before, at, at 67,000 miles an hour. While we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, we're flying around the sun, and we've been doing this for thousands of years. I don't ask, how does he shake it? I go, how does he keep it still? <laughs> Seriously, have you ever thought about that? I mean, isn't that the miracle that we're sitting here? while we're flying at 67,000 miles an hour. And it's not shaking. And people go, well, I don't believe he could make it shake. I'm going, I can't believe it's been still for so long. And that it's just worked perfectly around this big ball of fire, just perfectly. That amazes me. You, you say a little turbulence and that surprises you? I go, no, how does he kept this thing working. It just doesn't make any sense to me how this thing can be moving the way it does and the water not be splashing all over us. And, and I know you can explain it and you go, well, you know, the Barrett-Dromic nigga tried to, you know, and whatever, uh, you know, words that, you know, and that causes this gravitational pull. You know what? Bottom line, it's, it's insane. It's impossible. And you believe in the creation because you have to believe in the creation because there's no other explanation for the creation then how in the world can you not believe that he could destroy? Creating is easy. I mean, creating is hard. It's not easy. We try that. Destruction's easy. No, I gotta, I gotta go to camp today. I gotta do the same talk over there. Okay, but um, but you know, just destroying this is easy. It's 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 what he's made that should make us aware of his power. And, and here he is, he's talking about this destruction, and people today don't believe it can happen because they don't stop to consider what this world is like, how fragile we are, and the designer who made it. And hopefully you have faith in that creator, and you realize, well, if he made it, he certainly can destroy it. And that day will come, just like in the days of Noah, just like in the days of Lot, but people didn't believe. They didn't heed the warning. And just like today, if I were to talk about the end of the world, there'd be people even in this room who wouldn't believe me.
who wouldn't take it seriously and would just go on with life, buy, sell, like nothing's going to happen. See, he goes on, Jesus says, it's going to be just like this in the days of the Son of Man. Verse 31, on that day, no one who's on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there's a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Okay, it's just a terrifying passage. He says, just like Noah, you know, you got these people on the boat, on, on this ark, they're being taken, and then everyone else is drowning right next to them. You got Lot and his family escaping from the city. They're saved while the whole city just, just dies. It's over. And, and the difference in what he points out, the distinction between the one who is saved and the one who is judged, is the one who is attached to the things of the earth, that was the person who was destroyed. The one who had his mind on earthly things and wasn't really thinking about the future judgment of God, that was the person that was destroyed. It was Lot's wife. He says, remember Lot's wife? Remember Lot's wife was running right alongside, probably a little bit behind, you know, and, and, uh, and, and God told him, don't look back. And what does Lot's wife do? She looks back, and, she get, and God kills her right there. Turns her into a pillar of salt. She looks back. And the point was not just not to look. It was, the, the idea was not that she was looking back to see the fire or whatever else. She was looking back because there was a part of her that didn't want to leave that, that didn't trust that where God was taking her was better. And she looked back at her old life, her old way of living, and saying, I don't, I'm not ready to go yet. He says, don't be one of those people that you love certain things on the earth so much that when Christ comes, you're actually going, ah, you know, I... I still love these things. I'm just caught up in these things. I haven't even been thinking about his return. And it just kind of broadsided me. Don't be a person like that, he says. I mean, it's a terrifying passage. I mean, when he says, you have two people in one bed, suddenly one's gone. Two people are working together, grinding grain, suddenly one disappears. That you could be side by side with someone you love, and then one of you is going off to be saved, and one of you gets judged. And, and uh, they ask, well, well, where? Where is this going to take place? And Jesus' answer to that is, you know what, wherever there's a dead body, the vultures gather. Basically meaning wherever. It doesn't matter where. Everywhere. Just like every time a dead body, you know, it's like, where are the vultures? Wherever the dead bodies are. It's just there. And, and, I, and I, I, I believe he uses that not just to say everywhere, but also if you turn to Revelation 19, when we talked about this when we studied through the book of Revelation 19, but um, verse 17, the end of your Bible, Revelation 19, verse 17, it says, I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, 
free and slave, small and great. Then a couple verses later, verse 21, the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Okay, it's just this, this picture in the end times, and he talks about this destruction that's going to take place on the earth, and just all the carnage on the earth of those who didn't believe, didn't believe that the, res, you know, the, uh, the wrath was really going to come, just like the people in Noah's day, just like the people in Lot's day. They didn't really think it was going to happen. And then they're left there, and as their meat's rotting away, God's sending the, these, these birds down just to gorge themselves on the flesh. And I believe that's another reason why Jesus uses that phrase of, you know, wherever there's a dead body, there the vultures are going to gather, there the birds of the air are going to gather. Um, it's about judgment. I mean, why, why do you think Jesus says these words? Do you think he's trying to scare us? Yeah? I don't know, it scares me. I, I think there's a, a fear of God that's the beginning of wisdom that if nothing else shakes you up, if you're one of those people that sits comfortably and says, well, I don't know if I believe in God or not. I don't know if I buy this or not. You know what? You, you better figure it out. Um, because there is a judgment of God. And there is that fear of God that should be the beginning of your wisdom when you realize, okay, if God set this earth in motion, made it out of nothing, He's a more powerful being than I am. And what is it going to be like when I have to stand before him? I better just listen. I mean, do you, have you ever really thought through that moment when you're going to stand before God? Have you really thought it through? I mean, thought it through all the way, not where you just go, I'm going to give him peace of my mind. You know, and people go, I'm going to ask God this, and I'm going to tell him, why did you stick me with her? Why this? Why that? And all this stuff. And I hear this all the time, and I, and I just have to stop and go, wait a second. You have no idea who you're about to talk to, do you? You really think you're going to speak up when you stand before God? I mean, really? The Creator? What a terrifying moment. You think you're going to be able to explain yourself? No, when you start reading how the Bible describes God, you finally come to the end of yourself and you go, I've met my match. I don't, I, 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 I'm just going to shut up. And this God has every right to judge me. And you start with that fear. And then as time goes on and you understand that that God who could judge you loves you, and He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you, and that His Son on the cross was paying for everything you did wrong, you start going, wait, this, this terrifying God loves me and did that for me, and then you begin this relationship with Him. But you also recognize that after Jesus died and rose again, he's coming back to judge. And that's what we've been studying. And you recognize that. And, and, and I can say, you know, 95% of what I do, I do because I love God. Okay? I do because I trust God. I read this book, and I've seen how it's worked out. When I obey this book, when I live according to this book, it just works out. I believe it. I trust it. I do things because I love him, and I know that he loves me, and I've got this intimacy with him. But... The other 5% of the time, there are times when I don't feel like obeying God. When I don't totally trust 
that he's got the best thing for me or, or that it's going to work out best for me or that it's going to bring me most pleasure or this or that. And there are times in life when every fiber in your being just wants to just absolutely rebel against God and his laws, his commands are just too hard. And at those times, even though my love is not strong enough, you know why I do it? Because at the core of my being is a fear of God where I just think I am not going to try to go up against him. I am not going to try to fight against him and do what he tells me is wrong. It's just blatant fear. It's the beginning of wisdom, and, and there are times when in our sin we have to go back to the beginning. And the, the problem with churches today and Christians today is that we don't start with a fear. We don't have a fear in the foundation of our relationship with him when the Bible says that's the, that's the beginning of wisdom. And what we start is we start our relationship with God. Um, it, it starts like this. Do you want Jesus to be your friend? Uh, yeah, I could use another friend. Okay, I'll have him. And, uh, and that's how our relationship with God starts. And so then later on, oh, my friend told me to do this, and I don't really want to do it, so I'm not going to do it. And we just kind of move on. See, because we never were grounded in a, in a foundation that says, I fear God. And so when life gets difficult, when following his commands get difficult, suddenly we feel like we have the freedom to just pick up and do the opposite. And I'm saying we've got to get back to a fear of God at the foundation of who we are. And then as we grow, we understand the love and the forgiveness and this intimacy and this relationship. But we've got to understand judgment is coming. Jesus Christ is returning to judge the earth. And the Bible says if you're going to try to save your life and try to savor it and just, just soak up everything the earth has to offer, the world has to offer, he says you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life, you let go of it, then you're going to find it. 